chapter 11. Good to see our family and friends. Thank you. Today we're going to talk about God not being ashamed of us. Everybody say this with me. God is not ashamed. Amen. As we learn today in our passage that God was not ashamed of Abraham and his wife, we have to then ask ourselves, are there times when Jesus is ashamed or God is ashamed? So today in the passage, you're going to see that there is a shame that didn't come upon the people of faith, and we have to make sure we don't have that shame. As you notice, we're not having the scriptures up here, and the reason is because in first service, there was a confusion with what was going on with the scriptures, and then I realized no one had their Bible open or very few at that time. So now for the next uh, few weeks, months, whoever knows how long, may God lead us, uh, we're not going to have karaoke Bible. So if you're not familiar with how to use a paper Bible, please ask your neighbor. We would love to help you. If you cannot afford a paper Bible, we'll give one to you. If you have a smartphone and sometimes you feel a little dumb and you don't know how to use it, we'll help you use a smartphone. You can go to Bible Gateway or one of the Bible apps, and our personal app at MPI or Metro Praise International, both on Google and on Apple, has the Bible on it. So that's why you're not going to be seeing this up here for quite some time. And I expect that we'll have the same participation with following me in the scriptures that you would if the karaoke is up there. Can I hear an amen to that? Amen. So today we're going to talk about not being shame or blamed with shame because of not having faith. I don't want God to be ashamed of me. Just think about that for a second. We always think about how God loves us. He cares about us. But we don't often think about what would make him feel ashamed of us. And I've heard even people say, well, you can never embarrass God or shame God in that kind of way because he knows everything. He always loves us. But that's not true. The Bible says you can disappoint him. The Bible says you can grieve him. The Bible says you can anger him. And you can even get to the point, God forbid this happen here, that you anger him to the point where he'll not give you any more chances. The Bible talks about this when it talks about Pharaoh, Judas, and others. And oftentimes we think to ourselves, well, I'm not Judas, I'm not Pharaoh. And then we live however we want, thinking that someone else can go to hell but not us. Let me just ask you quickly to turn with me to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4, which we've already been through this. Thank you for coming if you're new. But we have been going verse by verse through the book of Hebrews. But I want you to see what I'm talking about because the author of Hebrews teaches us that God can react to us out of his emotion and it be positive or negative. So God is not like how they describe him in Star Wars as a force, um, like he's just up there humming all the time. No, God has anger. God has joy. God has things he loves. God has things he hates. Can I hear an amen? Amen. So I just want to show you this. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, look at verse, uh, say verse 2, for we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of what? No value. And by the way, I use the NIV. The NIV version will be helpful if you want to follow along with the word for word. They heard the message and it was of no value to them because they did not share the what? The faith, you guys are doing great, of those who obeyed. So they didn't have faith and they didn't obey. Now notice what happens in verse 3. Now we who have believed entered that rest just as God has said, so I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. 
Now notice the difference there. They never get to enter into God's rest. We enter into God's rest. What is the difference? The difference is we've believed. So why does God get angry with them? They disbelieved and they disobeyed. So there you go. God can get angry with us and say, hey, out of my anger, you're not going to heaven, you're going to hell. I know that blows our mind because we think God is like Oprah Winfrey or The Rock and he's always there to be nice to us. But you have to understand, those people are manipulating you. You're not seeing the real person. The Rock is not always happy. Oprah Winfrey is not always like that. What you're seeing is people using you and they're giving you a false persona, a hypocritical version of themselves. So if you see somebody mad or angry, you need to ask them, are you being honest with me now about what you really feel? That doesn't give people permission to do things out of anger that is sin. The Bible says be angry and sin not. So we are not to sin in our anger, but my friends, anger is an emotion. Joy is an emotion, happiness, all of these things. But notice this here. These people went from God being ashamed of their behavior to him being angry at their behavior. And then notice this, he curses them. How many know if God curses you, you really cursed? You can't go to Madam Cleo to break that one, okay? If God says you're not going to heaven, you're not entering rest because I'm angry with you, now you've got a problem. And let me just go also to Hebrews 10, 26. We've already been here. Just another example in this scripture because I want everyone to take serious what we're supposed to do as Christians. Hebrews chapter 10, and let us just move up a few verses, say in verse 23. Very similar concept of faith and believing, but yet those who disbelieve and those who uh, un, you know disbelieve uh, and disobey, there is problems for them. Look at verse 23 of verse 10 of the book of Hebrews. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but rather encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Everybody go, ah, good news. See, you encourage each other, you spur each other on. Yeah, let's do something good for God. Don't miss church. Read your Bible. Obey the commands of the Lord. Everybody say, that's a good day. Amen. Now here's the bad news. Verse 26, the very next verse after him talking about us encouraging one another. If we deliberately keep on what? sinning, thank you, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation and of raging, uh, expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Woo, somebody say, that's the bad news. <laughs> Amen. How many know that's pretty serious? If you don't receive God's encouragement, to do the right thing, you become an enemy of God. You might say to yourself, well, that sounds like Islam. That sounds like these other religions where you have to work for Brahma, you know, these Hindu-based religions, or like Islam. No, no, no. Listen, the difference between what God is doing and what those false pagan religions do is that our God is not saying, based on your performance, I love you. That's not what he said. He said, I love you right now, and I'm giving you a chance to receive grace. Not a 
good works list that you have to keep. I've been to Nepal. I've been to Buddhist temples. I understand what Hinduism is like. I have written by God's grace a book on Islam. It is not the same thing. Their religions teach you, keep these lists, do these things, and then God will do nice things for you. If you do your part, God will do his part. That's not Christianity. Don't get it twisted. God looks at us with compassion and mercy and knows we can't do anything to please him. Think of it like this. Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, all of these religions give you things to do to try to ascend to heaven. Imagine in the natural if I asked you to flap your arms to fly to the altitude of 30,000 feet. Could you use your arms as they are today to flap to 30,000 feet? No, see, God knows there's nothing in you or in me that could possibly ever get to heaven to do good works. So what does he say to do? Believe me in the work that I did. See, Buddhism doesn't give you a Jesus dying on the cross, performing the work for you. Islam does not give you a sacrifice to believe in. Hinduism does not give you God coming in the flesh and having the death, burial, and resurrection of their Savior. That's why they're not the same. Everybody tracking? Christianity shows a Jesus, God the Son, doing a work for us. Then we believe in that work, and from the belief of that work, we do good works. Do we have good works? Yes or no? Yes. Well, what comes first, the works or the belief? The belief. Christianity says believe first, then do the good works. The Bible calls this being born again. Unless you are first born again by the Holy Spirit, you can't keep the things of God. Some people think they have to do the good works to become a Christian. Christians start off by being made Christians and then do Christian things. And the way I look at it is very simple. What happens first? My child learns how to be a Wyrostic or my child is born into a Wyrostic family. Birth or works? What comes first? Birth. See, according to the scriptures, birth comes first. See, they believe in reincarnation or something happening after life. No, no, no. This is how Christianity works. Rebirth happens now. Change of heart happens now. Now is the day or today is the day of salvation as the scripture says. Ahora. Everybody say today. Somebody say now. Amen. Today's the day of salvation. Now what do you do now that you're saved? You live like it. You live like it first. If you think it's the other way around, you'll never get there. Just like trying to flap your arms, you'll never get 30,000 feet in the air. But how could you get 30,000 feet in the air today? Hop on a plane. Could you not do that? How many could get on a plane today by God's grace? And I'm going to say if you could afford the ticket. I'm going to say could you get on a plane? Amen. Even they wheel the people in there that are handicapped. We can get you on a plane today. And guess what that plane can do? That plane can do what you and I cannot do, and that is soar at 30,000 feet. Now at 30,000 feet, there's a bunch of things I could get you to do. At 30,000 feet, I want you to read a book. At 30,000 feet, I want you to tell somebody that you think something nice about them. Do good for your neighbor. At 30,000 feet. But remember, the requirement starts at 30,000 feet. You couldn't do any of my commands if they start at 30,000 feet and you didn't use that plane. Let's say I gave you 10 things right now like a scavenger hunt you had to do to win $1,000. You have to read a book at 30,000 feet. Say something nice to your neighbor at 30,000 feet. If I said to you, you cannot use a plane, you can only use your arms to try to get there, how many know nobody would get it? 
But if I said it counts if you go on a plane, how many know you'd be jumping on a plane? Maybe it was a million dollars, you know, like in the Amazing Race type show. You would get on that plane, and then up there at 30,000 feet, here, i got to read a book. I'm going to tell something nice to somebody. Jesus says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Check this out. Not only are we not able to flap to 30,000 feet in the air, we are descending as sinners further and further and further from God as time goes away. You're not getting better and better as a sinner as time goes on. You're getting worse and worse in the eyes of God. You are continually falling. You are continually separating. How many now know the importance of a Jesus? You don't need to light a candle. You don't need a saint. You don't need a Buddha. You don't need to walk on rice paper. You don't have to do the crooked chicken. You need to believe and trust in Jesus. Now understand this. If you don't do that, God is ashamed of you. If you do not do that, God gets disappointed with you. If you do not do that, God's wrath will eventually be poured out on you. Why? Because we have no excuse. No one on judgment day will say, but, 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 but God, I couldn't, I couldn't do this thing. He's going to say, no, I gave you the plane ticket. I told you when to be there at the departure. I made that plane perfect and holy to bring you up 30,000 feet. It's not that you couldn't. You wouldn't. You wouldn't. Every sinner is a sinner by will, by decision. Somebody say, God is not ashamed. That's where we want to go to today, but I'm just prefacing this in Hebrews where it talks about God being ashamed. The Bible says, if we deliberately keep on sinning after having received the knowledge of the truth, there is therefore no more sacrifice of sins, but a certain expectation of terrifying judgment and of raging fire, which will consume the enemies of God. Why have I memorized that? Because I don't want to be an enemy of God. I don't want to be someone God counts as an enemy. I have memorized that scripture by God's grace just like John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. How many here want everlasting life? You don't want to perish. Keep going, verse 28. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. That's the old covenant. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? Do you know that you can insult the Spirit of grace? Just think about that for a minute. Insult the Spirit of grace. There is a Spirit, the Holy Spirit. God is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that triunity. Listen, that Spirit is a Spirit of grace. And you and I can insult a Spirit of grace. This is worse than you insulting Eguela, your grandmother. You all listening to me? How many know most of us have sweet grandmothers? Some of them have some sassy ones like me. My Italian grandma's a little sassy. But how many have some sweet grandmas? How many know if you insulted her, that would be heartbreaking? You have to be a pretty bad person to insult that, that kind of person. Listen, the Bible says the spirit of grace is here with us now to make us new creations, to pour out joy upon our hearts, to give us the spirit, uh, you know, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. All of these beautiful things come from the Holy Spirit, that spirit of grace, and yet we can insult that spirit by not living for God. And then what does it say in verse 30? For we know him who said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his what? 
The Lord will judge his what? His people. It's verse 30. I want everyone to go there. Look at it quickly. The Lord will judge his people. Thank you. Now look at verse 31. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Now you ready for this message? We're going to learn about Abraham today and how the Bible says God wasn't ashamed of Abraham. But you're going to notice throughout Abraham's life, he made mistakes. You see, mistakes are not the same things that God is ashamed of like how he is in these situations here. He's not proud of them. He doesn't want us to make them. But the Bible says, though a righteous person falls seven times, they get back up. Do you see why this is called the Spirit, why the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Grace? So if mistakes or our sins or our issues aren't really the main issue, what's the main issue then? What does God become ashamed of? What does God separate us from? Uh, what, what, what is the, the line that we have to cross to get separated from his presence? It's what we just read in those two passages in Hebrews 10 and in Hebrews 4. It's when we purposely keep disbelieving and disobeying. So just... Think about this real quick because it hits me so hard. What is the difference between Peter and Judas? Didn't both betray Jesus? Didn't both of them at some point disobey, disbelieve? Yeah, but what happened with Peter? Peter's quick to repent. Peter's quick to say, God, I'm not giving up. What does Judas do? It's over. I'm taking my life. I'm done. And that's a form of pride. After your mistakes, and let's just assume that we're all going to have them, after you make a mistake as a Christian, sin or any kind of thing you're not supposed to do, because not all mistakes are sins. Sometimes we can make mistakes. They're not the best thing for us or the will of God, but they're not equal to a sin. A sin is a violation against the moral law of God. So let's be very clear here. Just because you get a wrong answer on a test doesn't mean you sinned. Can, can I hear an amen to that? Just because you get into an argument with your spouse doesn't mean you sin. It is if you mistreat them, if you're not humble in the argument, etc. But so I want to be very clear, and we'll learn about this later, that we need to throw aside every sin and weight that so easily besets us. There are sins and there are weights. We'll call these mistakes. How are we supposed to live then? We live with the fear of God and the love of God. We embrace that God will judge us. Those, there's the fear of the Lord, but we allow the perfect love of God to drive out the fear of condemnation that we're going to go to hell. We allow the love of God to teach us that even though we make mistakes, we can be forgiven. Because if I had the karaoke screen up here, I would ask the brother, so I'm going to ask you to do it now, to scroll through Hebrews 11 in the story right now. If you can, please look at your Bible as I buy us some time here. Hebrews 11 verses 8 through 21, and you show me in there any mistake mentioned by the author that Abraham or Sarah made. You won't find it. See if you can find it there. I'll give you $100 if you can. Maybe I missed it. But you can't find any mistake of Abraham. But hold on. Didn't Abraham lie twice when he was traveling to a king and say his wife was his sister? Everybody go, ooh, that's gross. Come on, man, isn't that gross? But why did he do it? Because he, he was afraid that they would kill him and take his wife. But that's a lie. God doesn't give permission to lie. But hold on, didn't Sarah say for him to have sex with her maidservant, Hagar, and have a child because she didn't think God was going to keep the promise? And if you look there in the story, which we're about ready to read, it even applauds Sarah. And it says, Sarah, believe God. Well, hold on. Does God just overlook our sins? No but he forgives them. Why aren't those mistakes brought up in the life 
of Abraham and Sarah? Is it that they don't matter? Of course they matter. There's consequences. Some would even say that the offspring of Hagar, Ishmael, is why there's still war in the Middle East. There's no peace because of that turmoil of the Ishmaelites being possibly the modern-day Arabs. Wow, there's still consequences from those sins way back then? Yes, some theologians believe that. We know for sure that there was consequences in their life for the things that they did and didn't go well with him when he lied. He almost got killed for lying. But why doesn't the author of Hebrews bring that up? Because the Bible says that he covers the multitude of sins, that the mercy of God is there. And so it's not that when we sin in the life of faith that he's ashamed of us, though he's not wanting us to sin. It's how we react when we sin. It's what do we do. And so when we read the story of Abraham and Sarah, and we'll even get to a little bit of Isaac and Jacob, we're not supposed to be thinking that it's just being washed over, that these mistakes are not important. Even the mistake of Isaac, you know, or the mistakes of Jacob tricking his, his father to get an inheritance. We're not supposed to say that these are all okay. No, what we're supposed to say is, is that if we have faith and we truly believe God, when we mess up, God will be there to help us back up. How many believe God loves you even on your worst day? How many believe God loves you when you make mistakes? How many believe that grace also works for pastors? Or not so much. Should I not get any grace on my worst day? Fire them. Get rid of them. Well, there are certain things I should be fired over, but I'm just saying, like, let's say I'm not as patient as I should. Get rid of them, bad pastor. He said something not nice to me. What if I fired everyone here in this church who didn't say something nice to me, right? This church would be empty, right? But I want you to think about your life. How do you feel when you make a mistake? How do you feel in your journey of faith? I know I'm harder on myself oftentimes than others are on me because I think to myself, man, God must be ashamed of me. God must be embarrassed. I said I was going to pray this much, and I didn't. I said I was going to fast and lose some weight, and I didn't. I said that I was going to do this with my family. Every day we're going to do the devotion at this time and this way. We're never going to miss. And then all of a sudden we're sitting here watching some uh, Disney show like Mandalorian. Okay, where's the devotional time? Does that now mean God says, you're my enemy? No. You see, by us not understanding the tough passages... We actually live in some kind of a uh, condemnation, but when you really understand the tough passages, you will get it in your mind that those apply to a certain person. You could be that. I don't want to give you a false assurance, but more than likely, you're not that if you're achieving or doing that which God wants you to do by His grace. Everybody say grace. Grace has fruit. Grace has an attribute that it will produce in your life called good works. The grace of God, just go there with me quickly, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and onward. I just want to show you this. Grace produces good works. So in actuality, all of those things those religions are trying to do that they can't do, grace actually does and does it much better. Think about it once again with that airplane example. Imagine you trying to flap your arms, fly 30,000 feet to accomplish reading something at 30,000 feet. You would make a mess out of yourself and everybody around you trying to do that. But how many know at 30,000 feet in a plane, it comes easy to open up a book and read it? You see, following Jesus and doing good works is actually easy breezy when you're with him by grace. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For my yoke is easy and my load is light. Some people think it's the exact opposite. They think living for the devil is easy and living for Jesus is hard. 
Yes, we do take up our cross and we deny ourselves, but the work of salvation is an easier work, more beneficial and lighter to your soul than being on your, a sinner on your way to hell. See, some people talk about that and they confuse people because, yes, giving into temptation is easy. Yes, living for your flesh is easy in that sense. But, my friends, the penalty of that is very difficult. The weight on your soul and your emotions for the wages of sin is death brings a penalty on you that is much heavier than living for Jesus. The biggest struggle I've ever had living for Jesus cannot compare to my best day as a sinner. In other words, I would rather have my worst day as a Christian every day of my life than to go back and live an endless amount of my best days as a sinner. See, the problem with some of you is you would rather have your best day as a sinner. I don't want my best day as a sinner. I could describe it to you right now, but it would be quite perverse and nasty, so I'm not going to do that. Just pray for me that I never go back to that. Amen? But I know in the days when I was a sinner what my best day looked like. That's a nightmare for me now. Literally, nightmares for me. I have woken up multiple times in the middle of the night with my heart beating, thinking about what my best day as a sinner was because I thought I did it as a Christian. And the look on my wife's face and the people that I had to explain what I just did. But you see, people in the world want to make you out to be like you're doing a lot of work, you're doing a lot of stuff, and they're saying to you, I wish I could, I wish I could do these things, I can't do these things, and so you must be better at Christianity than me, you must be more harder working than me, and they're totally misunderstanding Christianity. Christianity is not me doing a bunch of good works, it's the work of God working on me. It's the powder having me as the clay. It's like right now, let's pretend one of us had a broken down car here. Would you want me to try to fix it who knows nothing about a car or a mechanic? You see, the people of the world are trying to fix their own car, and they think that's going to get them eventually to Christianity. I never did that well. Well, Joe, you must, like, I'll meet some of my friends, and they'll say, Joe, you must have did something, man, you must be good at this. Man, I am terrible at Christianity without Christ. I'm terrible at with, uh, you know, keeping God's commands, doing good works without Christ. But with Jesus, he makes it easy not to look at pornography since 1998. Jesus, uh, 96 rather. Jesus makes it easy for me not to cuss. I haven't cussed since uh, about a month or two after I got saved. Jesus made it easy for me to quit smoking. Jesus made it easy for me to quit getting drunk, having sex outside of marriage. Are you listening to me? Jesus made it easy, man. Look at me. I still want a six-pack and and don't have it. That's how difficult I am at self-discipline, how hard it is for me to have self-discipline. I'm not even good. I'm not even as good as Arnold Schwarzenegger at those things. Are you listening, brothers and sisters? But yet I have a life of purity that puts all of those world-class bodybuilders to shame. Why? Because Jesus did it in me. Jesus gave me a new heart that desired purity, not perversion. Jesus gave me new habits that broke me free of the chains of sin. Does anybody else here have a testimony about the truth setting you free? About Jesus being the author and finisher of salvation. That's the beauty of the Christian life. Look at it, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For it is by grace you have been what? Saved. Through what? Your good works, going to church, getting good at doing all the things Christians do? No, it's by grace you have been saved through what? Through faith. And this is from yourselves? Is that what it says? No, this is not from yourself. Yeah, it's not from me. It's not uh, owed to me. 
Oh, I'm a self-made man. I'm a self-made woman. No, you're a self-made mess without God. This is not from yourselves. It is the what? The gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork. Oh, so you mean it's not me working to become a Christian. It's God working on me? Oh, yeah. See, that changes the whole perspective, doesn't it now? Think about it. If you're working on yourself, that's hard. If God's working on you, that's easy. Let him work. Well, Joe, it doesn't always feel easy. I didn't say it would. See, that's the difference. You're taking your feelings to be facts, and they are not. It does not always feel good to do the right thing. Your feelings are fickle and should not be trusted. But if you can get past, and I can get past my feelings, our feelings will fade and faith will remain. When Christ is working on me, it is the easiest thing that I can do is to let him keep working. When I'm getting angry and I'm about ready to sin, the Holy Spirit is there saying, uh, 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 uh. no, no, this is the line, don't cross it. It is the easiest thing for me to take a detour right there, and the Lord will calm me down. You know what the hardest thing is? Is for me to still be angry, watching my blood pressure rise, watching what I do to my wife and kids, and then having to make it right afterwards. That is hard. It's easy to put on your turn signal and get off that ramp and say, I'm done driving on this crazy highway. It is, brothers and sisters. Don't let the world uh, change the way Christianity was meant to be. Oh, it's so hard. It, it's so hard being a Christian. No, man, that's what it's like serving the devil. It's not hard being a Christian. It's not hard being in love. I know we got Father's Day coming up, but fathers should also have Mother's Day because if it wasn't for the fathers talking the mothers into getting into the mood, there wouldn't be any children. Because I love what that one meme says. Hey, kids, remember, we only celebrated Mother's Day because I talked her into it that night. Those who are married can say an amen. It doesn't come easy after a while getting moms in the mood, okay? But half teasing here, listen to me. As, as parents who have made babies, my wife and I have made a bunch of them, it's easy to love them. Does it always feel good at the time? No, but it's easy to love them. My default as a good parent, not an insane, wicked, evil parent, but as a natural parent, and the Bible says you know how to give good gifts to your children, so it's using a default mode. The default mode of a good parent is to naturally love a child, to care for them. Does it always feel good? No, but it's natural for me after I've gotten upset to look at them playing in the backyard and then that sense of compassion come back. Oh, man, they're just children. I need to love them more. I need to be more patient. See, that's what Christianity is like. You'll feel tempted to be hard on yourself. You'll feel tempted to go back to the flesh. You'll feel tempted for those things, but Christianity is letting God work on you, and there'll never be anything easier in your whole life than to let God have his way. Notice what it says. We're not saved by works. We're saved by grace through faith. It is not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Verse 10, for we are God's what? Handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. If you're ready for the story, let's go to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. If you're ready, say, I'm there. Amen. Let's go. By faith, Abraham. See, by works? No, no, no. By him being an amazing guy? No. By what? Faith. Abraham, when, he called, when God called him to go out to a place, he would later receive as inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Wow, that's awesome. How many got something out of that right there? We could end the sermon. 
When God calls us, we should say, yes, Lord, I will go. Pick up the phone, amen? As we used to say back on the day, don't put them on call waiting. Don't give them the voicemail. When Jesus calls, switch that line, go to him. When he says it's time to go, it's time to go. The safest place you and I will ever be is in the will of God. God told Abraham, it's time to go. And he got up and left. I just want to reiterate this again. One of my dear friends lost his wife in a car accident. Why should he be afraid to go to North Korea and be a missionary then? Hello? How many have had people you love die in this world before their time? How many have gone to funerals? I just buried my friend the other day. So why should we be afraid to live for Jesus? You're not promised a safe ride home tonight or today after church, are you? You're not even promised. So what are we afraid of anyway? Well, what about my kids? What about my kids? You know, I was thinking about that when, uh, you know, I dedicated my life to be a Christian. What about my kids? And every time I've ever had a question about this, the Lord has always reaffirmed himself to me. And the last one was about being a missionary. I'm still pastoring here, but the Lord has released me now to start traveling more. So I'm going to be overseas a lot more now. And I was talking to Ray, and I go, well, what about my kids? I don't want to miss time with them. And Pastor Ray is a missionary to the Philippines. He's lived in America and in the Philippines, and he's gone to about 20 different nations all around there, Vietnam, China, and so forth. And he said, bring them with you. Well, that is the last thing I was thinking of. Bring my children. Now, of course, bringing them to the Philippines, that's fun. But I'm thinking, like, what if we go to the next spot? What if, you know, what if we go to the next spot? Why would I bring them with me? Brothers and sisters, children have died in this country being in their own schools. Why should I be afraid? You know what he told me? He said, when I was coming into China, they found my Bibles because I was going to distribute them to the people. They ended up putting me on a watch list, so I had to sneak out. But I left my kids. They were teenagers at the, uh, the hotel. And I said, if I don't come back in a day, this person, one of the Christians there, will bring you to the consulate, fly back home because I'm willing to go into the inlands of China and preach the gospel. How many know my idea of being afraid for my children just kind of went away at that moment? <laughs> or at least I got a little bit confronted right there. Because like, what are we afraid of there? I'm not saying be reckless. I'm not saying be irresponsible. Remember, we're not saying follow the word of Cousin Flacco. We're not saying follow the word of your neighbor or that person you're following as an influencer on Instagram. No, it's follow the word of the Lord. If God has truly spoken, then what are we to be afraid of? He says it, let's go. Abraham, let's go. Abraham gets up and go. And what does he do? He leaves his family, or at least the, the people that he was with, he leaves that immediate family to go in search of an inheritance that God will give him. Verse 9, by faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. Should I be ashamed today of this storefront church? My friends are in churches that can fit thousands. Should I be embarrassed when I meet with them and talk about how things are going? Why not? Because God told me to do this. Are you ashamed of your business? Are you ashamed of what you do for a living? Are you ashamed of what you're working through in your marriage with your family? None of us should have shame today for doing the will of God to the best of what we know how. You don't judge me on how I'm supposed to accomplish 100,000. I'm not going to judge you on how quick you're supposed to resolve all your marriage problems. But are you working on your marriage problems? Yes or no? If you have them, yes. You're working on them, right? Then I'm with you. God is with us. You see, shame 
comes to us according to the scripture, you have to remember the Bible is a shame culture. Sometimes we think in this world, like, never make me feel ashamed. No, the Bible will make you feel ashamed about a bunch of things, okay? The Bible is not cool with everything we're cool with. So the Bible is a shame culture. You're supposed to honor your parents and not be ashamed to them. You're supposed to honor your church and the people that you serve with and not be ashamed of them. But see, we don't understand that we're in America. We put our families in nursing homes when they get too old. You know, bring this up when you guys get home today and make sure someone's going to take care of you, right? We put our children and our parents in nursing homes. We uh, send our kids off to college never to see them again a lot of times. You see, we need to go back to the culture of the Middle East. Well, it was based on shame and honor. And honor is what you wanted in that culture. Can I hear an amen? So listen to me, brothers and sisters. I'm going to ask you this one more time. Is God ashamed of us when we are giving our best and yet we're still not seeing the results? No, because what does he look at us like? Children. We're learning to trust him. We're learning to obey. We're learning to obey. You say, well, pastor, I've been learning this lesson for a long time. Come on. And all the husbands said what? Amen. Come on. And the wives nudged them. I mean, some of us husbands are learning the same lessons over and over and over again. And all the parents said, amen, because you're working with your children, learning the same lessons over and over and over again. It shouldn't take us three hours to get ready for bed at night. You should know how to put on your shoes before we leave the house, like as if you never saw a shoe before. I'm telling you, man. But you know what? I'm still not ashamed of them. I may be a little bit embarrassed when it takes us three hours to leave the house sometimes, right? Or that I still have, and I'm not going to point them out, but children that should be old enough to wipe their own butt but still need their butt wiped all the time. Mommy, will you help me? I'm praying I never hear that again. Because my office is right by the bathroom. Mommy, will you help me? I'm like, you are old enough. I wish there was a way without being neglectful for them just to learn it on their own. Stop wiping their stanky butt and see how long it takes for them to learn how to do it on their own. They're old enough. They play the pad. They do all these technological things, have more intelligence in that way than we did when we sent an astronaut to the moon. And yet they still can't reach behind and get that all that out. Are you listening to me? I'm getting free here. Okay? But is God ashamed of us? No, I'm not ashamed of my children when they still need their butt wiped. I'm not ashamed of they're a child. They're learning. They're growing. I'm not ashamed of them. Okay? And how many know God is a lot more patient than us? So once again, we look at Abraham and we're brushing through his life right here. We're getting the highlights. We're getting the Instagram reel. It, it seems like, man, this guy made no mistakes. No, he made mistakes almost every step of the way. But why is God only highlighting the wins? It's because whatever mistakes he was making, God was there to forgive and give him grace. By faith, he made his home in the promised land. Like a stranger in a foreign country, verse 9, he lived in tents, so did Isaac and Jacob, who were his heirs with him of the same promise. Verse 10, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. This is why I say, man, we need to get manifesting back from Will Smith and put it back in the church. Well, I manifested that I would be a great actor one day. And the secret, you know, they, they talk about this movie, the secret, if you can just see it and name it and claim it. There is a truth to that that you see here, but they corrupt it with their perversion and their idolatry. What is the seed of truth here? You have to see with your spiritual eyes, your eyes of imagination, things that your earthly eyes do not see. 
What did Abraham see? Abraham was looking to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Brother, I don't know if you caught that, but let me just make sure that you do. It says here that Abraham wasn't even just looking for the promised land. He was looking for heaven. That when Abraham was told to leave his family and that he would become a mighty nation, this is the backstory of where the nation of Israel came. Adam and Eve sinned, get kicked out of the garden, some bad things happen. Noah's flood comes. We went through that last week. Then from Noah's generation, his children, his three sons and wives, they populate the earth. God calls Abraham out of Babylon, Ur of the Chaldeans, and now says, I'm going to start a holy people. Track with me here. Now as he's being told to leave his family, start a new family, There are major obstacles in his way. Number one, the land that God says he's going to give him already belongs to people. Number two, God says he's going to make his descendants more numerous than the sand on the ground. And if you've ever been in the desert or to a beach, there's a lot of sand or the stars in the sky. And there's a problem with that. He doesn't even have a child and he's in his 70s. Somebody say faith. But you see, God said he had faith. He could see a city and an architect that was there building that city. He could see in some way and somehow New Jerusalem and God coming to build that city. Bible says that Abraham met with God. Jesus said that was him. He said, before Abraham was, I am. He told to the Jewish people, Abraham rejoiced in seeing my day. He saw me and he was glad. Abraham was given great experiences, but he could not merely count on what his earthly eyes saw. He had to use the vision of his heart and the imagination of his soul to see what God was promising him. Is there anybody here that wants to go beyond the natural to the supernatural? Is Is there anybody here that wants to step out of what you can do and see what God can do? That's what God does with Abraham. And now look, verse 11, and by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. Hold on, you mean the Sarah that suggested Abraham have sex with the maidservant Hagar? You mean Sarah, the one on the other visit, when God came, she laughed, literally laughed at the promise of God. That one eventually came to faith? Absolutely. That's why I'm not discouraged by your ups and downs as a Christian, as long as I see you not giving up. Do you know what will discourage me more as a pastor, though I'm not your judge in that way, but I'm just telling you as a pastor how I feel as a leader. You know what will discourage me more than anything else? You talking a big game but not producing anything. I would rather you say nothing, be quiet, come every week and, and be like we're my, you know, Wyoming, whatever state that is, the show me state, and just show me what you about. Because the ones who proclaim a lot and do little bit of nothing, that discourages me every time. Why would you waste all that hot air, waste my time, get us all excited about these things and not do anything? Think about this. God is not judging Sarah on her mistakes. He's judging her by the final outcome. I was thinking the other day about being a church planter and all the churches I've shut down and the mistakes I've made along the way. Thank God I've never had a moral uh, situation where I've ever had to stop pastoring because of that. But I've made mistakes on leases. I've hired and put people in the wrong positions. I've had to call police on my own leaders here who have sinned and violated trust. We don't hide anybody's sin. Can I hear an amen? Amen. 
Amen. I mean, that's the real deal here, okay? I don't, anybody in this church ever sends you, let us know. And if it's even me, call the police and we'll figure it out. We're not here to hide any sin here, okay? So I was thinking about all of that, and I was thinking about, man, this is somewhat embarrassing. This is like embarrassing. Like, I'm, man, I'm 46 years old. I've been pastoring since I was 22 years old. Maybe that was why I had a lot of mistakes. I started at 22. But I've been senior pastoring. I mean, keys to the door, holding the services. Are you the senior pastor? Yes, going through that conversation four and five times at 22 years old. I, I've been doing this for a while. That's 24 years in a career. And here's what I got to show for it. Not saying you're not special, but how many know that could be a little bit embarrassing? sitting down at a table with a bunch of big, you know, pastors and people younger than me that already have a bigger following than me and have more money and, 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 and they send more to missions. And I was thinking about all this. and Man, look at these mistakes. But the Lord corrected me instantly. And you know what he said to me? He said, don't worry about them. Focus on what I've given you to do. And then he said those words that I needed to hear. I'm proud of you because you're doing what I called you to do. And then he started showing me stories in the Bible about people like Abraham. Notice this. He never even saw the promised land get developed like Moses did, let alone New Jerusalem come to earth. He is literally seeing so many visions that we have not even seen all that he saw. Think about that. I'm going to read that one more time just so you can see what he was seeing. It says here, he was looking for a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Do you know where that is found? That is found in the last chapter of our book. Would you please go quickly to Revelation 22? That's what he is seeing. Who, who else builds a city? Other, what city does God build other than New Jerusalem? Jesus did not come down and build the Jerusalem of David, did he? Did God build the city of Jerusalem when David lived in it, yes or no? No, he did not. Where does heavenly Jerusalem, heavenly Jerusalem come from? It comes from heaven. Look at it right here. As a matter of fact, when it comes out of heaven, it's actually chapter 21. Then you live in it in chapter 22. Look at chapter 21 of Revelation. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Does everybody see that? Because I can't track up here now with this karaoke. Are you in Revelation chapter 21? Don't lie. If you're there, say, I'm there. Somebody say, a holy city coming down. From heaven, built by God. Now look back at Hebrews. Thank you. Thank you for doing that for me. I'm glad that we're on the same page. Look back at Hebrews chapter 11. What is Abraham seen? Abraham, what does it say? He was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. When the Bible says that Abraham was a friend of God and that he's the founder of our faith, that's not just a Sunday school song. That is a reality. Father Abraham had many sons. And many sons did Father Abraham. Right? You've heard that song before? Right? Now listen, brothers and sisters. He is the, he is the precursor for both covenants, old and new. And in our Hebrews chapter 11 passage, we're told that this brother had so much faith. It wasn't just at some point that he believed he would have children they would become a nation. He had so much faith that he believed the one that he had eaten with on the plains of Mamre in Genesis 18 was going to come back with a city for him to live in it. In the, 
promised land that he doesn't even yet possess, that other people are there. He's believing that there's a city coming out of heaven to hit that ground. And we're still waiting for it. And yet I meet people all the time who are raised Christians and say, oh, I don't believe that stuff anymore. This brother believed it. This brother believed it before there was ever any evidence for all he had to go on was God said. I thank God for his faith. Are you being encouraged today? Sarah's faith, even though she made mistakes, she's still faithful. She sticks by her man. She sticks through the plan. She's a mother of Zion. She brings forth the, the promised child. And so from, verse 12, so from this one man, and he, as though he was good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless on the, as the sand on the seashore. Jesus, give me that kind of faith. How many want that kind of faith today? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. This should encourage us. Man, I want to look at my children and see their children's children, children's children when I see them. I want to look at them should the Lord tarry, and I want to see them building. I want to see them being so amazing for God that what they do, I can't even, comp I can't even comprehend. Abraham had so many children, you can't count his children like stars. You can't count on the night. And I think there's like so many million that are uh, visible from any given night. And the Bible says that that's how many he has. Not just the nation of Israel, but born again, children of God that have lived in this generation all the way back to his time. Can I hear an amen for that? I mean, that's the faith of Abraham. This man is the founder of our faith in so many ways. And yet God is overlooking the mistakes, not because they don't matter, but because when it mattered most, he gave his heart to God and he worked through those issues. May we all be like that. Verse 13, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on the earth. So if people point out to me, they say, Joe, where's the 100,000 souls for Chicago? Where's the 50 churches? Where's the 500? I'm going to say it is as real as God himself. But I haven't yet been able to put my hand on it. Just like I, ha I can't touch God today and put my hand on his throne or touch his feet and wash his feet with my tears. But I know that promise is real. And you know what? In this life or in the world to come, we will see God keep every one of his promises. Imagine Abraham being there. We're going to get there in Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that so easily besets us, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us, looking unto Jesus, who despised the shame and accepted his call, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God for the joy set before him. Let us be like Jesus. Jesus is going to do what this man did times 10. But everyone get me here today you got a decision to make. What are you going to believe? Let us be like Abraham. Let us be like Jesus. Because I believe that Abraham started watching the, the, the play of earth, watching it come forth. Man, look at this one. Look at that one. Eventually Moses comes. Look at the deliverance. Look at this. And I'm sure every step of the way, he looked back at Jesus and said, I knew you would do it. Or you could see Jesus maybe a little bit the other way, being a little sassy. You see how I did it, right? I kept my word. 
at times you didn't believe, but you, you died in faith actually believing. But this, this actually came to pass, you know? Whether it's one way or the other, I don't know if Jesus has a sense of humor up there, but I can just imagine as Abraham was seeing those things come to pass, that there was something of assurance in his heart that he recognized this was the same faith that I had when I was on earth. God kept his word. I wonder what the early Pentecostals would say, even in our heritage here as a church. We're in the Pentecostal movement, started in the 1900s, in, in old, you know, um, barns and sawdust floors and, and storefronts that were even worse than this and tent crusades being rejected by the, the denominations of that time. Could they imagine that after they died there in the 1930s and 40s that there would then come out to be the largest and fastest growing religious movement on the planet? From the 50s and 60s and 70s all the way through to the 80s, Christianity grew not only more than any other religious group has ever grown, it grew more faster than communism or any world government has ever grown. Today, there are almost a billion spirit-filled believers around the world. Here's a fun fact, and this is why I think I fit in in this church. Only 30% are white. The other 70% are non-white. Look around and say amen. I just, can I keep coming to church, my brothers and sisters? Will you still welcome me here? As the white people got lost in their tradition, the people of color, the, the, the minorities or what we would know as the majority world, Africa, Asia, and Southeast Asia became the breeding ground for the move of God. And yet when these missionaries first went, those were hard grounds. The lands were hard. No one had ever been there before. But God began to move unto the point where now those leaders have the largest churches in the world. In other words, Nigeria, one of the largest churches in the world. South Korea, the largest church in the world. Bogota, Colombia, around the third largest church in the world. These churches numbering 100, 200, 300,000 disciples. And where did it come from? From missionaries saying, I'll go to Bogota. I'll go to Korea. I'll go to Nicaragua or these wonderful places now where the gospel is going. And so those missionaries went by faith. How many are glad missionaries went by faith? What are you going to do today by faith? Sarah believed. Abraham believed. Verse 13 says that they died still believing even though it was from a distance. Verse 14, people who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have no opportunity, or excuse me, they would have had an opportunity to return. Quickly and closely, I want you to think about this. The Bible says Abraham was not thinking about where he had left. He was thinking about where he was going. I can always tell when I see a new Christian here that they're struggling in their faith when they keep talking about everything they've given up for Jesus. I'm proud of them, I love them, and I applaud them. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. But I'm telling you, when I hear from you as a new Christian that your testimony still comes with that brokenness, I had to leave my family, my friends, I feel so alone. I'm un I, I get from you, you have not understood the great prize that's in front of you yet. I'm not saying that you can't cry and miss that which is behind you. There, there are going to be times you will. I'm not saying that that won't emotionally happen in your feelings that just want to be felt. But I can always tell I've met a disciple that has crossed that threshold when they testify more about what God has done presently in their life than the sacrifices they had to make to serve Jesus. In other words, if I hear your testimony for 20 minutes talking about drugs, this and that and this and that, and it's five seconds, now I'm saved, you don't understand Christianity yet. 
Most of you don't even know the fullness of my testimony because I haven't told you. How many times have I told you the eight times I was arrested? Do you even know the eight times what I was arrested for? Do you know how I lost my virginity? Do you know the different drugs that I did? Do you know the crimes that I committed? No, because that's not what I rejoice in today. What I rejoice in is all the things you have heard about. The marriage, the family, the church, the education, the beauty of being a pastor. Those things that are behind are but done. Quickly turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. Paul put it in perspective. Uh, Philippians chapter 3, rather. Paul put it in the words uh, of a poetic way that we can all understand it. Paul was just like us in many ways. He was a sinner. He had issues. But when he came to Christ, he got on fire and never looked back. And in Philippians chapter 3, look at how he looks at his life. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider what? Loss for the sake of Christ. You see, Paul didn't look back at his life and go, oh man, I used to be a Jew with so much prestige. No, he looked at it and said, all the honors that I got from being a Jew, I don't even care about. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of who? Christ. Now listen to this beautiful poetry. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ Jesus, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Paul, what do you want to know? I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow obtaining to the resurrection of the dead. Paul said, if living for Jesus means I suffer, I would rather suffer living for Jesus than having the pleasures of my flesh and know Jesus. What if I said to you right now, you could have all the pleasures of this world but know Jesus? Would you take them? You can have all the dream girls, guys, you, all the, the things you would want sexually. You can have all the money, all the prestige, all the power, but here's the deal. You don't have a relationship with Jesus. I wouldn't take it. But what if I said to you, you can have Jesus, but you have to now move to Iraq and work among the people groups that ISIS has taken over and they're still trying to live them, uh, make them live out jihad. You'll have to cover yourself up and mix in with their environment. Your children will have to be left at a missionary school because this is what our missionaries do and sacrifice when they go to the dangerous underground places. You will place your children in the missionary boarding school. You men will grow out your beards. You wives will put on your covering, and we're going to plant you in the middle of Syria, in the middle of Baghdad. We're going to put you in Iraq, and here's the one promise we can give you is that he will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm not saying I called you to do that, but would you do that for Jesus? I remember Dick Brogdon telling the story of what it was like to grow up in that boarding home. You can look up, look up Dick Brogdon in the Live Dead Mission Movement. He's worked now with the underground churches all in the Middle East and Northern Africa for many years. And I can't help but cry every time I listen to him preach because it reminds me of what Christianity looks like. He talks about when 
He was in that boarding school because he was raised as an MK, a missionary child. And when it was time for his parents to come off the mission field and pick him up, that he could always recognize his dad's Jeep. He could recognize his dad's car from a long way off. And as he would see his dad coming, he would get more and more excited until they finally embraced and hugged each other. And he knew he got to be then with his father and his undivided attention. And he says, that's what heaven's like, but here's the problem. There aren't many in these nations who know the father's waiting for them. He said, I grew up with a father knowing what it was like to be reunited with them. But what about Ahmed right here? What about Ali right here? They don't know the father. And when he comes, it's not to be reunited for them. It's for judgment. So who will go to reach them in these nations? And so, brothers and sisters, this is what God told me one day when I was contemplating whether or not I was going to apply for my visa to go to Pakistan. This is when um, the terrorists groups had already um, uh, taken down 9-11 and they were hiding. Uh, Osama bin Laden was hiding more than likely somewhere in the border of Pakistan and Afghanistan. It turned out he was in Pakistan where they killed him. And I was looking for my, uh, I, was, I was deciding whether or not I was going to get the visa to go, whether or not they would even let me, you know. This is during that time when uh, what pre- uh, President Obama was trying to look for him. He never found him until the end of his uh, presidency, but he was looking for him. And I understood because I'd already watched the videos of what they did to Christians in Pakistan at that time. And I remember asking the Lord, should I go and do this? What about my children? What about these things? And you know what God said to me? This is what he said to me. How dare you now? This is what God said to me, okay? God said to me, how dare you now make excuses with the blessings that I gave you? Because November 5th, 1995, if you would have died, you would have went in hell. And in hell, if you would have said to me, God, please let me out of hell. I'll do whatever you said. If I would have said back to you, well, then I'll send you to be a martyr in the Middle East. You would have said whatever it takes. So now that I saved you from hell by letting a day pass where you didn't die, I give you all of these blessings. I cannot now pull your card and place you over there. I'm telling you, the Lord rebuked me so strong that I went and filled out my, my visa. And they wouldn't let us in. So then I flew him from Pakistan to meet us in Nepal. Brothers and sisters, who are we to say back to our potter, these blessings are now our excuses. How dare we? Well, God, I want, you know, sometimes our our young people want to go into ministry and we'll deal with their parents, even Christians, you know, and they'll say, well, I want my child to do something different than ministry. You know, I came from a poor country. I want them to have all of these opportunities. I don't want them to live a pastor's life. I mean, what is there to a pastor? I want them to become this or this or that. And we've literally had to say to our brothers and sisters, even some of them Christians, how dare you say after God has given you a healthy child, A child that's alive. How many here would say, God, give me a healthy child. They could be whatever you wanted to be. Let me just have a healthy child. How many many would say amen to that? You prayed for a healthy child. You prayed to be a mother, to be a father. You've had all of these years with them. How dare you now keep them from me? Which we're going to hear in just a little bit. What does God say to Abraham after he's got the son of promise? Sacrifice him. Why does God ask Abraham to sacrifice the promised child? Because God wanted to see if one person would feel what he was going to feel in a few years. Abraham is a type of the father. Isaac is a type of Jesus. What does the father do? Stops Abraham and he provides himself the lamb. But what happens on the cross with Jesus? The father allows his son to die in front of us. Miserable and wretched uh, to the world. Despised by the world. 
but the joy and the darling of heaven. Can you imagine that? You see, this is the story of Abraham, the story of faith. And I think, brothers and sisters, there's so much to gain from it because God does not owe us anything but his best will for our lives. He's a good God, so he'll promise to do good for us. All things work together for the good of those who are called. That's the only thing he owes us is the good of his will. So how dare we now say we won't sacrifice, we won't give, we won't go. I remember talking to one young man. I was like, hey, we go street evangelizing here. We all preach. It's not just the, the crazy ones among us. We all preach. And he said, well, that's not my gift. And I, I said, yes, it is. You can talk. It's your gift. And if you couldn't, you would do sign language. And then this is what he said to me. You know what he said? I want everyone to look up at me. This is what a supposed Christian said to me. I don't think I could handle the rejection. You know what the Bible says? If you are ashamed of me in this world, I'll be ashamed of you in the world to come. You mean to tell me our Jesus comes down here to his own creation, is spit upon, beaten, stripped naked, nailed to a tree, and you're now saying you're worrying about being rejected by some stranger on the street? What kind of pride is that? I know it's relatable to many of you here, but hear me on this. That is pride. That is the height of arrogance. Those in hell right now, if they were given the chance, would shout as loud as they could, Jesus is Lord, if they would get another chance to go to heaven. And yet their time is past, and yet we're here on earth. And we're ashamed to say Jesus is Lord for our friends and neighbors to hear. God have mercy. Look at this passage with me quickly in closing. Hebrews chapter 11. All these were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the promise. They only saw them from a distance, and they welcomed them, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. Friends were just passing through. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been looking or thinking of the country they had left, they would have had an opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. I can just imagine the devil, you know, the devil comes to God at different times. He says, look, God, I got this one to follow me. I got this religious leader to deny you. I got this politician to do this. I got this person to shoot up this school. I got this and this and this. And I can just imagine God say back to him, yeah, it's because you bribe them with everything that they want. And I can imagine now the devil going, oh, okay. So you're saying you don't bribe them? Because last time I checked, God, you get to give them heaven and you give them a blessed life and you take good care of them. Now you might understand the story of Job. And God goes, you see him? Let's test him. Let's see if whether or not he's following me because I gave him a new job, a promotion, a church that ends exactly when he wants to so they can go back out to lunch. Let's see if he's here for all of this. Family dies. His land is taken from him goes broke, he still praises God. The devil goes, hmm, no, I think what's happening, it's because he still has his own body. He still has his own whereabouts. You know, he feels good about himself. Let me touch him. Let me, let me infect him. Let me put pain all around him so that the pain is not only of his soul, losing his, his children and losing all of his wealth, that the pain is in his body. God goes, go for it. You're not letting Job be tortured for nothing. This is a lesson for us. And then he touches Job, and all of these boils begin to come. 
that I don't even understand this, but it's said in the Bible he has to take pottery and scrape himself, I guess because of the scabs and the itching. As he's taking pottery, he just he would rather cut and bleed than to have that pain of the itch and whatever is happening there. And what happens? Job keeps his faith. And his friends keep coming to him. Just curse God and die, man. Is it, what are you doing? You must have sinned because they thought everything was karmic. You know, you have good things because you're a good person. You have bad things because you're a bad person. Christianity doesn't work that way, friends. Some of the most blessed people I've known have walked the toughest paths of life. Joe, who discipled you? Some rich, fancy pastor? No, a man named Donald who had to take care of his ailing wife in a nursing home. Where did I meet him at? At an all-night prayer meeting after got done dropping off pizzas, trying to stay away from the drugs. And I would show up to an all-night prayer meeting, and there would be a dude there walking with a cane, and he would say, hey, young man, good to see you again. And I went to a mega church that never even talked to me. And this dude at an all-night prayer meeting on Friday night would say, good to see you, bro. What's going on? Man, will you teach me the Bible, Donald? Hoop earrings, goatee, trying to look like Cypress Hill, doing, doing the best I can to look Christian, you know. Yeah, I'll disciple you. Meet me at the nursing home tomorrow. I remember coming into that nursing home. I'll never forget the smell of what it sm smells like to be around the sick and the elderly. No offense if you're sick or you're elderly, but there is a smell of death among those, those people in those situations. And if God doesn't take us before, then we'll all go there. My mom was a nurse's aide. She'll tell you about it. And he would play a little pool with me in their rec center. And then he would pull out the Bible. See, brothers and sisters, God's not looking for all of those accolades. He's looking for people who are willing to give it their all and lay it down for Jesus. So you know what? Now that I'm here, I'm going to go be the Donald. I'm going to be the next one. I may not be the pastor you want, but I'm probably the pastor that you need. Are you listening? And so, brothers and sisters, when we look at this scripture here and we see in Hebrews that God was not ashamed of them, that means something to me. God was not ashamed of Donald. See, I grew up around a lot of faith preachers. I'm a prosperity preacher in some ways. You may not even recognize it. And that is that God wants to prosper you in all that you do. That's Psalm chapter 1. And the, the, the righteous prosper in all that they do. Their leaf does not wither. But here's where I pray that prosperity blessing, not like a fortune cookie over every one of your wishes that you have today. I pray that prosperity over the will of God in your life. And so listen to me, brothers and sisters. God doesn't look at us the way the world looks at us. You know, I had a good neighbor, good guy, but always wanted to ask me, how big is the church? How many are coming? He never came, but he always wanted to know how many of you guys were showing up. And I almost felt like, like, dude, you want me to tell you tomorrow a 1,000 are coming? I mean, it's about two or 300. If you put us all together, every service may be 80 to 100, you know. But that, that, that's, that's the church. But he was a typical dude, you know. Nickels and noses. How much money you got and how many people are following you? I've had even people mock me as a pastor for putting this vision up here. They'll come around the church and then they, they'll, they'll, they'll hear what we're trying to do. And then a few years later, hey, how's the 100,000 going? You getting closer? <laughs> 50 churches yet? Last time I checked, I just saw you guys with some box truck on a corner. 
Yeah, that box truck does more than your probably whole church put together. But that's okay. Who's judging except God? I'm not your judge. Listen to me, brothers or sisters. You may be thinking right now, what do I have to give the Lord? You know all Abraham gave? You know all Sarah gave? Was there yes? Yes. Oh, you want me to leave? That's your, that's your word for me? Okay, where are we going, God? We're going to this place over here. Okay, what are we going to do over there? Well, you're going to start a nation over there. Okay, God, well, there's a bunch of people living over there. Well, your descendants are going to figure it out with me. Well, God, I don't have even a child, and I'm 75 years old. That's okay. I know how to make things. <laughs> you get busy, and I'll take care of the rest. You can imagine that, that, that talk, you know. Hey, Sarah, guess what we're doing tonight? We're going to make some babies. After a while, it doesn't work, though. Sarah goes, make a baby with this one. Every time I have tried to make this church grow faster than what it does naturally, I have ruined it for you, for me, and everyone in between. Do you know that one time we used to put out advertisements on B96? How many know after a while those visitors started, started to not like us? So then I realized, why am I getting that? Why am I spending $1,000 on B96 to get visitors to come to hate me and to leave a bad review? I'm being serious. What's the Latino magazine? Hoy? What's that Latino magazine? Is it Hoy? I said it right? Oy. It's H-O-Y, but you don't pronounce the H, right? Okay, thank you. Thank you for being patient with this gringo. Oh, yeah, we've advertised an Oy. Telling you, man. And then you meet people that come from the advertisement. They're like Jimmy, and they'll take all that you can give me. Well, I want this, and I want that, and this church over here used to do this. Well, then go back there then. This is what we do here. Not that I don't want to have people come to the church. Please bring your friends and family. But every time I've tried to do it my way, there's a Hagar and an Ishmael to show for it. Maybe God has promised you a big business, but every time you try to do it on your own, you blow up and go into debt. Be faithful in the little and let God give you much. Maybe God has promised you that your children are going to grow up and do awesome things, but every time you force them to take piano lessons or go do extra credit, it blows up in your face. Trust God. Maybe you're here today and you think God's going to do an amazing work in this nation. Maybe you're like me and you have big dreams, but every time you go march downtown, it doesn't make it better. You can keep marching. That's fine if that's what God tells you to do. But listen, Hagar's with Ishmael's don't get the job done. Only God gets the job done. Amen? And we do it his way. And if he tells us to march, we march. Because that's what they do in Jericho. We're about ready to get to that story in the next couple of weeks by God's grace. And, and you, that's what you do. If it's time to march, you march. If it's time to go stand in front of a school like we did last Friday, there in front of Propser with our candy and our gift cards and a basketball goal and a mic preaching the gospel, we had 30 or 40 of them stop. They couldn't even believe that the church would care about them that much. Then we'll do that. Can I hear an amen? God was not ashamed of them. I'm just going to end on that today. We'll, by God's grace, finish it next week. Band and altar workers, would you come, please? But would you remain in your seat? Because I want to meditate on this for our own lives before we stand up. Please don't be distracted as they come. But I spent a lot of time in that introduction so we could get to this part. God was not ashamed of them. Would you look at your heart right now and see if there's anything that God is ashamed of that you haven't made right? First of all, if you're not a Christian, God is ashamed of a sinful life. 
So God wants you to change that life, to repent of it. He loves you just as you are, but too much to let you stay that way. His anger and wrath will be poured out on your sin. So if you're still a sinner today, ask God to forgive you and say, God, I am sorry. I have sinned against you. Forgive me. Bring me home. Make me new. I want to be born again. A few moments right now if you're not a Christian. Become a Christian. Become born again. I implore you in the name of Jesus. For the rest of us who are already Christians, let's go deep into this message right now. Are we doing things that God would be or is ashamed of because we're not confessing them? We're not getting back up and trying harder. We're giving up on things, the very things that lead to disobedience and disbelief. Dear Christian, here I implore you, do not backslide. Do not allow the temptations of this world to draw you back. I implore you today by the grace of God to be like an Abraham, even though today you may feel like you have tried everything you know, but things have not changed. My heart for you is to stay in faith. Let this church be an encouragement to you that I am still in faith. For over 20 years of pastoring, I am still in faith. For almost 20 years of marriage, still in faith for my family, not giving up. Stick with faith right now, a few moments right now. Get it right because God has given you the grace to get it right right now. He's given you the time. And then for the rest of us here that would say, maybe I'm not at a turmoil or a place of, of uh, backsliding, but I just need to be encouraged so I can go that extra distance today. I want you to start talking to the Lord that you don't give up, right? that you stick with it because maybe like Abraham today, you have repented of your mistakes. Like after Hagar, Abraham made it right, but you're still discouraged. You're still hurt. You still feel alone. You still feel maybe doubtful. And so you've got the sin thing taken care of, but you've lost that passion. You've, you've lost that dream. You've lost that spark. And you blame it on life. You blame it on your age. You blame it on being tired. But really, it's a spiritual condition because you've lost your first love. And you need to dream again. You need to have so much faith, come on, like Abraham, that not only do you see what is spiritually possible in this world, but you can see the heavenly city of Jerusalem coming down. Because, brothers and sisters, when we pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're supposed to pray that out every day with faith. We're not supposed to be moping around this world. We're not supposed to be discouraged. Even if we're facing some of the most hardest times and even if our emotions are getting wrecked, we are not supposed to give in to those things. We renew our mind. We submit ourselves to God and we experience the joy that goes deeper than mere feelings and mere just chemicals in our brain. The Bible says he'll give you joy and the fullness thereof few moments right now I'm praying with you because I want to I want to live this so if you're not saved get saved if you're backsliding today get that junk out and then lastly if you're willing to give it all for Jesus would you now just stand up with me this can be for everybody raise up your hands to heaven and say Lord help me to have faith to believe and obedience to obey Come on, a few moments with hands raised. Now with your heart lifted up to God. Lord, give me faith to believe and obedience to obey. Would you pray that out right now for us, Des? 
Say this with me, Des. Give me faith to believe, Give me faith to believe and, obedience to obey. and obedience to obey. Come on, Daryl, would you speak it out today? Daryl, would you be a modern Abraham today and say it with me? Give me faith, Lord. Give me faith, Lord. To believe, to believe. And, obedience and obedience to obey. To obey. Come on, brothers and sisters. I pray this over you as I prayed over my life. Nancy, would you come up and pray it over our family right now? Grab one of these microphones and say, Give me faith, Lord. To believe and obedience to obey. Hallelujah, Lord. I lift up my family, God. I pray that we would be marked, Jesus. Yes, Lord. With faith and obedience to trust you in the unknown, to trust you when we cannot see. Thank you, see, Jesus. But to trust, Lord, that you are leading and that you are guiding, God. So I pray for faith to increase as we uh, learn your word and trust your word and speak Hallelujah. your promises, God. And that we would be quick to obey, God, quick Jesus. to have a spirit of conviction over our lives. Hallelujah. We're going the wrong way, God. But I pray for faith to arise and obedience in every season, every yes. step of the way, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're with your uh, family, can you grab their hands and do this, maybe even at the altar with your wife here? Come on up here, kids. If you're altar workers, uh, if your family's altar workers, come up to them. The rest of us, come on, wherever you're seated. Come on, grab those hands of the ones you live with, the ones that you're closest to, maybe if you're sitting next to a friend. Well, really, if you want to hold anybody's hands, you can. But especially those families here, come on. Raise up those hands and say it together. God, give us faith to believe and obedience to obey. Believe it today. For the Wyrostics, O oh Lord, give us faith to believe, obedience to obey. We're going to soar at 30,000 feet today, family. Come on, Metro Praise International. You can't flap those arms high enough or fast enough to go that high, but the Lord's going to do a work in you. The Lord's going to do it in you today. He's going to make you and I His workmanship. He's going to write out the story of our life. And it will be a testimony of His goodness. All we have to do is believe. All we have to do is obey. And we will see those things come to pass. For troubled children, Lord, give them faith to believe and obedience to obey. For our national leaders, give them faith to believe obedience to obey. Do not be ashamed of us, O God. We plead your mercy over our land. O Lord, lift up your judgment from us and may your blessings come. Just a, another testimony before we go. If you're still praying, feel free to pray, but I just want to share this before we go, but I'm looking to see if someone was here. There was only a handful of us. My daughter was there. When we first went to the school this Friday, did you see them in the open field? Yeah. Did you see what they were doing? No. They were having boxing matches. <laughs> right out there, bro. I talked to them. They were seniors, skipped class. Listen, think about this, Liam. Try not to be like this. But if you do, make sure you win. They skipped class and we're boxing each other in the field. Is that all we got left in this land? Is that all we got left for our young people? I couldn't get the microphone on fast enough. I was like, get me this, get me the, come on man, get, plug that thing in. I said, guys, 
We got Jesus in the gospel for you. Free candy, free shots. If you make it, you get a gift card. Take as many as you want. That whole crowd literally came right in front of us and stayed there the whole time we were there. Said, thank you. We appreciate you. Now, not every one of them, of course. But here's the lesson. Are you ready for this? I didn't have to be there that day. But God called me. And he gave me faith to see that. Think about it. Some of you even heard me testify before we went out. Guys, this is what I feel like we need to do. We need to go to the school. Remember I told you that, TJ? We're going to bring out a basketball goal, and then we're going to set out some candy. Hey, man, get some free candy, take some shots. And God is my witness wherever Lawrence went. Lawrence said the first time we went out there, I didn't even know if they were going to take the whole box of candy and be like, man, sucker, we got it all. I didn't know what the Lord said. I don't know what these kids were going to do. And he's younger than me. But I said, brother, I got faith to believe that young people will still respond to love. They don't care how much we know until they know how much we care. And so, brothers and sisters, I want to testify today. What is a mess right now in front of you? But God has given you a faith vision to see it change. I can't think of something greater than what happened in my life Friday. Literally fighting in the park to shooting shots. Hey, man, I'm going to get this one. And I'm like thinking to myself, what if we all did this? Could we stop gangbanging? What if we all went out to our schools? What if we all gave them other things to do? What if we got to know each a drug dealer? What if we went to the LGBT community and we didn't stop loving them until they got it through their head that we don't hate you, we love you, and Jesus will change your life? That's what it takes, faith, and then the obedience. TJ, in closing, would you pick anything that you were praying for and close us out in prayer? Pray for that thing, and then pray for all of us. And Lord willing, we'll come back and keep increasing in faith. Oh, God, Lord, we just thank you for this day, God. We thank you for everything you have done and everything you're going to do, God. Lord God, we pray, Lord God, that you will stop the violence in our city of Chicago, God. Lord God, pray, Lord God, that we will be able to stand up for truth in this city, Lord God, and be able to encourage people, Lord God. Be able to help people who are in need, Lord God. People who are broken, who are lost, who are depressed, who are saddened, Lord God. I pray that we will give them a helping hand, Lord God, by sharing the gospel of Christ Jesus with them, Lord God. By sharing your good news, Lord God. By sharing your mercy and your love, Lord God. Lord, I pray, Lord God, that they would not be put to shame, Lord God, but they will come to know you, Lord God, and come to know who you are, that they don't have to have shame anymore, that their shame life can be gone, Lord God, but they can have a new life in Christ. Hallelujah, God. God, we pray that you will have your way, Lord God. Help us, Lord God. Lead us and guide us, Lord God, to pour out your spirit across all Chicago, Lord God. Lead us and guide us to share your gospel, God. I pray that none of us will be put to shame, Lord God, but we will glorify, magnify, and lift high the name of Jesus in this city and across the nation. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Praise God, saints. You're dismissed. Feel free to come get prayer and worship with us. That's what we do at the end here, but you are dismissed. Have a safe weekend. God bless you. Worship team, would you lead us out today? Thank you.